0: Welcome to this episode of the Sports Medicine Science and Performance Podcast, hosted by Dr. Andy Franklin Miller.
1: So this is the first of the podcasts moving to the new format of one paper per week and one podcast, and I'd just like to welcome Dr. Joe Warren, uh, very kindly agreed to be the first uh, subject really for uh, this new podcast. Joe, um, we're going to talk about your paper entitled Kinetic Changes During a Six-Week Minimal Footwear and Gait Retraining Intervention in Runners published in the Journal of Sport Sciences. Before I do that, I'd like to say thank you very much for joining us. And uh, do you want to tell the listener who's not familiar with your work to date a little bit about
0: yourself? Yeah, sure. So I think my work started as part of an undergraduate interest. I was a a sports science graduate from DCU and uh, was moving into a PhD and was very interested in this whole new um, interest in the public in, in minimal footwear and barefoot running is where it came from. Um, and I really identified quite early on that there was a, there was a vast daft of research as far as that transition to minimal shoes, and whilst a lot of it was acute studies or looking at habitually barefoot populations, how well that, that applied to the developed western runner who might not have the same level of conditioning or the same level of, of physically, physical activity in their background. Um, whether this could really apply in a safe fashion to these. So I started to look at this transition to minimal shoes.
1: And I think that's really fascinating because um, a lot of these studies came out very early on in the days of Vibram and Five Fingers. And and for the, the listener who's not actually doing some research, often the, the amount of time, effort and work in terms of study design, ethics, recruiting the patients, uh, recruiting the subjects and then actually getting the thing in, pop, in, in press is a significant amount of work. So often the well-designed studies that um, address these issues often take a lot more time to to bring out. And I think this is one of the first studies we're looking at multiple variables that's actually come out recently. And I think that's what makes it really interesting.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a great point because, I mean, in this case, this this study alone was two and a half years of work. So particularly I think the long intervention studies, the randomised control trials, they're definitely more difficult to do. You need to find a lot of recruits that are interested in making that transition and following a certain protocol so it does add logistically, I think, to, to that. Sure. And so
1: the the interest in here started with, I think, as everyone was interested, there was this huge trend and movement um, by shoe manufacturers to look at whether the shoe adapted the way that we run or whether there was some injury prevention method, mechanism or indeed comfort.
0: So the hypothesis for this study, how did that originate? So it really came off of some earlier studies that we did and, um, we had seen initially some very positive changes in running economy through a, a four-week transition in some elite runners. And we then looked at, um, so we kind of divided into two areas, we had our performance variables and particularly we looked at running economy. And then we, we decided to start trying to characterize some factors associated with injury. With the caveat that, I mean, these are somewhat associated with injury, but as you're, you're well aware, I mean, the, the strong association of any one key factor to injury in runners is very difficult to isolate. Um, and first, we looked at uh, the distribution of plantar pressures and plantar forces, and found that the forces actually reduced over this period. Um, and in, when we combined them findings with the running economy stuff, it became somewhat apparent that there may be a strong neuromuscular mechanism for this this positive change that we saw over however long the, the minimalist footwear transition was. Um, so we decided to start looking at uh, stiffness mechanics and see whether these would evolve over this minimal footwear transition. Um, and and hence as we did so we looked at these impact characteristics loading rate and and impact force as well
1: so one of my big bugbears with studies um, is uh, the interpretation of terms and um, you do that very well here and so what I think for the benefit of the listener we might just go through a couple of those terms just so people can understand what we're talking about so plantar pressures versus force and
0: loading they're different do you want to just try and explain to the listener the difference between those? Yeah, so when we talk about plantar pressures we're really talking about the specific distribution of forces over a surface area. For example if we, might, if we stood on a very sharp rock we'd have a very specific location of force in in the plantar surface as opposed to maybe in a large cushioned shoe now that force is distributed over a very large area. That's different then than the ground reaction force and this equates to um, the, the cumulative um, impact associated with our body landing on the floor and the associated resultant force that comes up through the entire lower body segment, so starting at the foot and moving through the knee and the hip, etc. Um, so two very different things. Both have somewhat been associated with injury, but in different different ways. For sure, and often are used
1: either interchangeably intentionally or not, and I think that's is really important that we differentiate that, particularly when it comes to stiffness. We'll hold off on the, the discussing stiffness for a minute because I, think I want to talk about that in respect to the results. Um, And a previous podcast I did with uh, Dr. Izzy Moore, who was at the University of Exeter, then moved to Cardiff, talks about running economy as well. And, you know, some of your work crosses over with that in terms of the efficiency or the oxygen consumption or the oxygen metabolism of running, um, as well as that on a muscular level. And we might come back to that. But at the moment, this is one of the few randomised intervention trials in running re-education. Do you want to just tell the listener in a paragraph or so what the study's about?
0: So the study attempts to examine whether, if we combine minimal footwear and gait retraining, um, whether we can see any change in factors related to injury as far as impact peaks and loading rate and these changes in joint stiffness. And uh, the randomised control element is that we essentially took uh, one large cohort of of participants, we randomly divided into two groups. One of them stayed in their their conventional running shoes for the duration of the study, which was uh, six weeks. And the others would go through a structured transition to minimal shoes that combined some small elements of simple gait retraining. Did you give them the shoes? Uh, to take away at the end of the study, no. I did in a couple of the initial studies and realised it was far too costly. I intend to keep researching this area, so not anymore.
1: <laughs> Very good. And in the introduction and during the description of the gait retraining, you use the term, you use current theory. Um, I was part of a, a uh, mixed methods analysis that looked at current theory and I, I was interested in really what you took from the current theory in order to give to these participants because I think the listener here who might want to go and take some of these practices and implications from the, from the paper and put it into their practice, I think that would be really useful for them.
0: Yeah, so for me there are a number of different ways of approaching the gate retraining domain. Uh, there's a chi running, pose running and these these packets that people use but really ultimately it came down to, to particularly when we just look at the literature some quite simple changes we increase strike frequency or cadence we adopt a, a, a non-rear foot strike pattern and I'm not going to differentiate between midfoot and forefoot because I'm not really sure whether we have strong evidence that there is much difference in them too um, we then have the this idea of changing the distance from the, the center of mass, the base of support, to the, where the foot lands. So uh, you can call it our know, breaking force distance or the perpendicular distance of our stride length. Um, and so essentially it comes down to these three factors. And then aside from that, there's been some interesting work from Irene Davis, and also Romanov talks on it in his work about just simply asking people to land softer and more quietly on the floor. Um, this developed kind of a ninja running movement in Australia that, that kind of popularized that approach. Um, so, essentially, they're quite simple, and a lot of other researchers and, and clinicians use variations, I think, of their main main concept. For sure, and I
1: think, look, I, we would agree from that mixed method, so that's exactly what people do, and there's different ways of achieving the same goal, and I think that's really important. I think you, you really nicely put it there. It's actually pretty simple. It, there's, there's a danger here that we think that running retraining and changing way someone runs is impossible often, Patients that I see will come in and, and jump on the treadmill and say, there's no way you're going to change my running. I've been doing it for 30, 40 years, um, and uh, that's the way I run. And it's not been my experience in terms of actually trying to make those changes. Um, but I think it's simple. I think there's not really too much into it. I and mean, the more we read into how we do that, um, often it's it makes something sound very commercial, but in fact, actually, it's just good coaching principles. Um, so... Were there some familiar cues you used in terms of making those coaching changes or was it more
0: more audio-visual, sort of visual feedback you were using or were they, was coaching? Yeah, so it's a great question. I really want my work to be in the applied domain. That is, that this is information or an intervention that can be used by anyone. And I fully understand, and I talked about this at a recent ACSM conference, where, I mean, biofeedback and methods of augmented feedback definitely have a very good place in enhancing both retention and the uptake of gateway training. But they're not very accessible for the general public. So we use very simple feedback cues. Um, One of them being, for example, imagine that you're running on hot coals. And that gets people to um, not only typically adopt a non foot strike, but also to actually land softer and quieter and typically shorten their stride because they're trying to reduce their contact time. So using these visual cues, um, or sorry, imaginary cues, I think can be very effective. As opposed to, you tell someone, listen, we want you to adopt a four-foot strike, for example. Well, people may interpret that very differently, and that's, of course, an issue with gait retraining. For
1: sure, and I think that adds that individual nature to it. People are different, and, and what they interpret by a cue can be completely different, so there has to be that battery. That, that's that's interesting. So if we first of all look at the results in terms of the, the intervention, um, you found some interesting things. I, I'm going to pick on a couple of these things, and feel free to jump in with, with extra ones, but... In terms of stiffness, it's probably best we describe what that is first, but you
0: found that knee and ankle stiffness decreased. Do you want to just talk us through what that means? Yeah, so I think first, maybe for the lay lay listeners, when we talk about stiffness, we're really talking about our ability to adapt to landing, and that is through how much we contract the muscles around a joint to stabilize it to make it stiffer or more loose. So that means that we might bend our knee less if we had a more stiff knee for example. Um, and also then how well we regulate the change in the angle so whether we stay in a very linear sense or whether the ang- the, we go through a greater range of motion. Um, so And then we combine these and this is our measure of joint stiffness. Um, so in our study we found interestingly in the intervention when we compared the intervention group with the control there was about a twenty percent reduction in knee stiffness throughout the entire study um, in the intervention group and this has been found in previous literature where running barefoot or in minimal shoes actually reduces the the, the work of the knee in the region of about twenty percent which was actually very close to what we found and that's been uh, found in some of Jason Bonacci's work as well. So this supports a lot of the previous work and also in ours that there is certainly a strong protective factor for the knee in running in barefoot shoes. Uh, excuse me, minimal shoes.
1: So, so I mean, look, I think I think that's an interesting point. So, by altering the way someone runs, from a kinematic point of view, there is, as in a joint angle or joint position point of view, there is an effect on the kinem- kinetics, So, the loading rate of that knee, and certainly something we would use in clinical practice with patients with patellofemoral or anterior knee pain, um, by able to alter that that gait pattern we feel we can return them to running. And one of the commonest sort of catch-to-5K type um, running injuries is that of patellofemoral pain, and so it sort of fits quite nicely. And obviously this group were an uninjured group of runners that you were making this intervention, but the crossover to an injured group
0: occurs. And I think it's interesting here to... We have to try, if we can, to differentiate between the effect that the minimal shoes are having, which are and five fingers in this study, and the gait retraining. And we see that this... Is certainly, an acute response that is almost very likely to be due to the minimal shoes. This 20% reduction in joint stiffness in the knee, on reduction in patellofemoral forces as well. Um, and we didn't measure that directly in our study. Um, so, and then actually, over time, we saw in the combined group that there was this reduction in overall stiffness taking place, and that's probably then more related to the gait retraining. So, in particular, there's research from Hamill that shows if we adopt a non rear foot strike, there's typically a decrease in um, ankle stiffness. Um, so so there is an acute effect, so that these minimum shoes are having a direct re- effect on that, that knee work, and then also over time through well, both an accumulation of becoming more used to or, or accustomed to the minimal shoes and then combining that gait retraining feedback.
1: And we were talking before the uh, the podcast in terms of, of Newton's laws and the assumption that, look, if, if ankle stiffness changes and load changes, and it has to go somewhere, and I've often been accused of being relatively glib to the... the, the uh, absorption of forces at the foot um, just using major joints in order to think about but do you know you don't use the hip or you don't look at the hip specifically here do you have any idea in terms of what this change in stiffness and change in loading rate
0: does specifically to the hip you know it's not been looked at in great depth in the gait retraining literature or in the minimal footwear literature at all actually Um, so I couldn't say for sure and certainly it's a limitation we should have examined the hip at the same time um, but I think one thing that's interesting here is that people often use this argument, well, if we, we're taking the, the, the workload away from the need, then it has to go somewhere else. But we also have to account for dramatic changes in running kinematics that are taking place. And in particular, it's not reported in, in this paper. but We have the data um, to publish, and that's that we saw a reduction in the vertical oscillation um, and also, of course, the reg- reduced stride length, etc. So actually, the landing velocity, if we treat the body like a, a projectile, um, running, we go into the air and then we fall back down. So if we're coming from a higher a height, then of course we can gain momentum, then we have greater uh, velocity when we hit the floor, and therefore we have more of this accumulative body weight through acceleration to deal with. So there's certainly a reduction in this overall load as well as perhaps a redistribution of load um, around the body. And I think that's that's right. And I think the, the
1: interpretation of, of multiple biomechanical terms often makes this difficult because we talk about loading rates, we talk about step frequency we talk about flight time we talk about stride depth and actually these are mechanical interpretations of of movements and actually it's it's not as simple as thinking about um, there is a force of 100 newtons or 200 newtons um, and where that goes and so i think one of the things i really like about this paper is you then go on to talk about loading rate. do you want to just talk about what that means
0: yeah so we measured loading rate through uh, taking the ground reaction force that we discussed earlier, so the impact um, force that takes place when someone contacts the ground, and initially there's a sharp spike in this, so initially when someone lands on the floor we have this sharp change in this force, and we measured the slope, so how how fast this occurred from 20 to 80% of, of this stance, um, or this initial uh, stance phase, um, and what we saw was that there was a significant reduction in loading rate uh, particularly in the minimal shoes and the the gait retraining combination and in fact loading rate probably I mean we've talked already that at least loosely we can associate these impact characteristics with injury I mean it's certainly a grey area and there's plenty of other theories there but this is probably one of the more strongly related um, impact variables to particularly bony injuries such as stress fractures. And we saw tremendous reductions in the loading rate over this initial period, over this six-week period of this transition. We're not saying that they're fully transitioned in six weeks, of course, so there's quite a bit of work to be done looking at longer durations. But one of the interesting things with loading rate is, and we consistently observe this um, in a few other studies, is that initially there is a higher loading rate in the minimal shoes when compared to the control group in the conventional shoes. And again, this comes back to the cushioning characteristics of the shoe So what we believe is that initially when someone is not habituated to running in minimal shoes, these loading rates are still quite high. They haven't adapted their running kinematics to suit this novel change in the fact that they simply have to change the way they're gonna run, otherwise it's gonna result in these sharper forces. And over time through proprioceptive feedback and these kinematic adjustments, we're seeing very positive changes in loading rate that occur to a much greater magnitude in the combined group, that's the minimal footwear and the gait retraining than in the control group who um, who did not have these, these interventions. Sure, so that's interesting. And so, does the shoe
1: teach the runner how to run, or does the runner run in a way that best fits the shoe? Or is that impossible to answer?
0: Yeah, I think that's a fantastic question, and a, one, as we both know, will almost never be answered. It's, for me, it's too individual. We try and, again, isolate these. It's one or the other, and it's, it's, it's very much a, a case of... of Working out the responses in individual athletes. For some people, we see—I call it kinesthetic intelligence. Some people can can take off their shoes and run barefoot or in minimal shoes, and immediately adapt very favourable changes in their kinematics that make it look that like they've been doing this their whole lives. Other people will take off their shoes and continue to run as though they had um, in the conventional shoes uh, and indefinitely, and and refuse to acknowledge all these. You know, it's very sharp sensations that are coming through the foot, which are telling you that these are quite, quite high impacts that are taking place.
1: And I, look, I think that's fascinating because I, I was looking at um, Twitter very recently, and Carl Valle, Bruce Williams, um, certainly been advocating more specific use of plantar pressure variables in looking at some of the fine intrinsic control um, and adaptations that you can look at in terms of improving performance. And and you know, I've been for the last two or three years really trying to look at the load distribution of the lower limb, both in runners and in multidirectional athletes, um, treating really the foot as a single segment rather than actually a, a, a movable feast. Um, and I think it, you, we run the risk, particularly in biomechanics, of just looking at those joint segments and ignoring the foot because we can't conveniently look at it with 3D kinematics. Um, and, and I think that fits with this pattern in the sense that, you know, if you have to, therefore, or you have the option of taking a different variation in load across the foot, It gives you the ability to interpret what you might otherwise lose in a shoot.
0: Yeah, and I mean, if we look at some of Nigg's work, and he's got this idea of a preferred movement pathway, that eventually we're all self-optimizing. We're falling into a pathway which suits our anatomical construct and and the way that we prefer to move. Um, The problem is that if people are changing this movement style, as a result of changing shoes, then it doesn't really fit in very well with that model. Or it may be that we have a preferred movement pathway for different types of shoes or different types of footwear modality, and some people may adopt them immediately, and for some people it could be years before they fall into that pathway. And so it, we certainly need more research specifically looking at that. For sure. And you touched on this
1: earlier in terms of um, the longer-term effects and, and how well this is retained. Often people have challenged gait retraining and running retraining to be very Pavlovian in the sense that, you know, you monkey see, monkey do. You tell them what to do. You expect that change. And particularly in the lab setting, that those patients then or subjects recreate those changes for you from a series of cues. What are your thoughts in terms of that long-term adaptation and, and how things vary?
0: Yeah, I think it's substantially lacking in the academic literature. Then retention trials, looking at how well um, people maintain these changes, if at all. Um, I think certainly, if, for me, I've thought about it more so in the, in the minimalist shoes, and we see these acute changes that take place. But I think also there's something, I've, I've developed this term, the desensitization theory. That initially, because we have all these strong senses taking place, these, these new novel feelings, this, this dramatic change in footwear, people tend to adopt fairly dramatic changes in their running style. But as with anything, if you lose a tooth, for example, you'll be acutely aware of that lost tooth for a few days, but then, of course, since it will fall into a fairly normal routine, and then you won't be aware of it after that. I think the same thing may be true of of minimal shoes and maybe even gait retraining. That is, that people become desensitised to this as such a novel change and then may fall back into patterns that are more closely related to how they used to run. So there might actually be kind of a retraction in, in these changes over time. But again, because we don't have the data, it's very difficult to say what's going to happen. That's a really nice way of putting it. I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about that. So so in this group
1: uh, that you looked at, um, one of those sort of intended changes that we see both in terms of minimalistic footwear and also in many running retraining programs is a change in step rate or a change in cadence. Um, do you think it's actually the cadence rate that dissipates the force differently or is it actually the reduced Time or at attention is it the reduced time under load that makes that alteration?
0: I mean, again, is it a cop out? If I say it could be a combination of all of them, mm-hmm. can we really isolate one? I think certainly the reduction in ground contact time is making a big difference, but mostly from that that um, reduction in vertical oscillation that we talked about earlier. And perhaps that has a major, major factor. We've already discussed the fact that there's a 20% reduction in joint stiffness in the knee and uh, something similar in the ankle. So there's certainly, um, this force is being dispersed over a greater period of time. You know, this impulse is longer. Um, so that probably explains a lot of them reductions, particularly in the loading rate, I think, that we saw in this study.
1: think hmm. I, You know, it, it gives great um, scope for, for future work. And in this group, um, was there any plan to follow this group up 12 months or so, 24 months or so later and see what they'd retained or or was it a very finite ethics approval to complete the study and that was it?
0: Yeah, and unfortunately it kind of came at the end of my PhD the time so there was no plans to follow them up which is... a. I mean, I regret it now. It was a big limitation. We're already actually in the middle of a data collection, which will be another randomised single blind trial in gait retraining versus minimal shoes, and we intend to run a seven day um, retention trial, but we may then extend that a little bit further. Um, so, so for the listener,
1: the physio, the, the uh, strength conditioning coach, the coach, whoever's listening to, to this, in terms of what are the uh, uh, the the cues, the tips, the the running style, um. I've often heard many people say, listen, there's no one way to run, and I would agree with that entirely. But in terms of the the commonality of message in that running retraining mould, if you had to give three cues to deliver to to a homogenous group of
0: runners who are uninjured, um, would you have them? Would I use the cues? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and I would certainly go off the motor learning literature, which says we should never use more than three cues and keep them very simple and interpretable. Um, so one, I have to tell them to... Um, try and imagine that they're running on hot coals, you know, so this sort would of promote that kind of lighter landing, that shorter step rate. Right? Um, two, imagine that they have um, something very sharp attached to their heel, and this typically then promotes that non-rear foot strike pattern, if that's something, I mean, that's a very controversial area in itself, I think, the change in foot strike. Um, and three, simple changes in in cadence, in stride frequency, can be done with a metronome, which is freely available, and, and we often use them as part of our studies. Um, I mean, most of the literature supports a kind of change of about plus 10% in stride frequency. I don't agree with this 180 rule that everyone kind of throws out there. I think it's, again, it's very individual. But them three for me would be the, the simple cues that we can adopt for that gateway training intervention.
1: Sure. Joe, I, I think are you try to keep these to this sort of time frame. I'm. I'm... Uh, in terms of this paper, I think it's really exciting. It's the first that's come out in a long time in terms of a running retraining and, and running kinetics, kinematics paper, which I think is nice, it's comprehensive, it's well designed. Is there anything you wanted to highlight in the paper that we've yet to talk about um, that someone might want to obviously refer to the paper and, and look at it further? Or do you think we've pretty much covered all of that in terms of the, uh,
0: the data? I mean, one thing we haven't talked about is the footstrike changes, so we can maybe briefly mention that. And this is something that comes up time and time again in the lay public. They talk about footstrike being the be-all and end-all. It's the gold, you know, the, the gold mantra as far as these gait retraining changes. And as we, in our study, as with all of the other studies that's been done, we did not see a consistent change in stride frequency when we had asked them to run in minimal shoes. And this is a really important message that I want to put across, which is either taking your shoes off and running barefoot or running in an ultra-minimal shoe such as this does not immediately mean you're going to run with a non-rear foot strike pattern. These are something that you may need to, to adopt over time or something that may not happen. You might have fallen too much into this kind of this rut of running in which you, you might find yourself. Um, so it's very individual. It can't be mass marketed as far as minimal shoes equates to a non rear foot strike. And um, we certainly saw that in this paper as well and that's interesting isn't it because it does give um,
1: weight to the argument that the shoe itself doesn't teach you how to run and that there's still an ability to override that from multiple factors and I take that point in that it's not just one thing you're not you're not looking at it but uh, I think the shoe manufacturers have moved away from sort of suggesting that their shoe will change the way that you run, there's interesting work certainly emerging in the next 24 months or so as I understand in terms of shoe materials rather than necessarily the shoe design and I think that's Clearly a route that uh, the manufacturers are taking the, the journey, um, realising that actually there's a lot of individually specific um, uh, reasons for why you might choose one, one shoe over another. Yeah, I
0: mean, they certainly help. I mean, when we just, just look at this study, and there's plenty of other stuff there, the, when we looked at the pre-test, those in the minimal shoes versus the control group, there was a significant change in the likelihood to forefoot strike in the minimal footwear group. So I still firmly believe that that is a strong starting point for attempting to make these natural changes, if, it, if you allow me that term, um, to, to running kinematics. But it is not an absolute rule. It's not definitely going to happen. It may require further intervention. So Joe, what's next for you? What's, what's in your lab at the moment? What are you looking
1: at or what do you hope to look at in the next 12 to 24 months?
0: So we are, as I said, we're in the process of a data collection for um, a randomized single blind study comparing different types of gait retraining versus just minimal shoes and the effect on tibial shock. And it'll be actually an outdoor study, so an applied study in the field, which will be hopefully very interesting. Um, And we're also in the plans to have a a multi-site international questionnaire delivered to a whole load of marathon runners. Um, I'm particularly interested in the the recent um, concepts of shoe comfort as a potential filter for injuries. So if we can potentially quantify someone's perception of comfort in their shoes, does that equate to a reduction in injury? Again, back to this preferred movement pathway. If something is not comfortable, it means we're not moving in a natural way. So I think there's a lot of research to be done in that to substantiate them early theories, and and I'm going to start hopefully looking at them a little bit. I can
1: imagine the shoe manufacturers will love that. I can see that sort of comfort guide um, becoming a runner's world feature um, in the future. Yeah, right. uh, Joe, thank you ever so much uh, for your time today. I think that, it's a, as I say, it's a fascinating paper. It's great work and it's great direction. Uh, and actually, the Journal of Sports Science has certainly produced some really nice publications um, in the last 12 months in, uh, in direction. And uh, thank you once again. Thanks for having me.